Welcome to The Art of Badassery, where I explore what it takes to live life on your own terms, break free from the status quo, and unleash your inner badass. Whether you're a rebel at heart or simply seeking inspiration to step outside your comfort zone, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Mahara Wayman, and each week I dive into the stories, insights, and strategies of those who have mastered the art of badassery and are living life to the fullest. They smile when no one is looking. Laura Lively joins me today on this episode of The Art of Badassery. She shares her expertise in taming the inner critic and cultivating self-compassion for a more authentic life. Laura opens up about her experiences with weight loss and how she learned about internal family systems therapy. As we delve into the conversation, she emphasizes the significance of adopting a non-judgmental and accepting attitude towards ourselves and others. She speaks passionately about the importance of understanding and processing our emotions, allowing us to cultivate greater self-compassion. One powerful technique that Laura highlights is naming the different parts of ourselves, helping us better understand and accept our feelings. It's an enlightening and empowering conversation, and I'm so grateful to her for sharing her wisdom and insights on taming the inner critic and embracing self-compassion. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Art of Badassery podcast. Today, I am thrilled to have Laura Lively as my special guest. Laura hails from the vibrant city of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and currently resides in the scenic surroundings of a lake in Northeast Oklahoma. With an impressive array of roles, Laura is a force to be reckoned with, juggling three diverse careers. As the executive director for a national nonprofit organization, Laura's dedication to positively impacting society shines through. Her leadership and passion drive her to create meaningful change and transformative experiences for those she serves. In addition to her role in the nonprofit sector, Laura is an IFS, Internal Family Systems Practitioner. Through this practice, she guides and empowers women to quiet their inner critic, that relentless voice within that often undermines confidence and self-worth. Her expertise is in helping women harness their inner strength, reclaim their power and cultivate self-compassion ultimately leading to a more fulfilled and authentic life. Not stopping there, Laura also channels her knowledge and skills into creating online courses. She reaches a broader audience by utilizing modern technology, extending her guidance and support to women worldwide. Her courses provide valuable tools, insights, and practical strategies to navigate the complexities of the inner critic and embrace personal growth and courage and resilience. When Laura isn't transforming lives and making a difference, she enjoys engaging in various recreational activities. Her love for kayaking, hiking, and reading allows her to reconnect with nature and find inspiration in the beauty surrounding her. And here's a little secret about Laura. She's a devoted sci-fi geek, particularly enamored with the latest incarnations of Star Trek. Her passion for the genre adds a touch of excitement and wonder to her already dynamic personality. In today's episode, she will share her knowledge on taming the inner critic, cultivating self-compassion, and embracing personal empowerment. So join us as we dive into her journey, explore her insights, and discover how to unleash 
the inner badass within. Get ready to be inspired by Laura's wisdom and embark on a transformative conversation. Laura, welcome so much. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Oh, Mahara, thank you so much for having me. What an intro. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. My tongue got a little twisted, but I'm I'm excited to to dive into your journey because I think, well, I know a bit of your story and I, I know that there will be, you know, so many women listening to this that will be able to relate to the challenges that you've had. So right off the bat, I'm going to invite you to talk to us about what makes you a badass today. This is the art of badassery, and we're going to explore it in its fullness. So what makes you badass, my friend? I'll tell you why I'm badass. And it took a while to get here. I am 57. I just turned, I am freshly minted 57 years old. And what makes me a badass is seven years ago, I started a journey that took me, um, it took me two years, but I have lost 165 pounds and I have kept it off for five years. And so for any of you people who have cyclically dieted or that's your whole life story, I'm a great dieter, you know that taking off 165 pounds, while that might sound exciting, that is nothing compared to keeping it off for five years. So that's why I'm a badass. I did something that people will tell you they cannot do. You cannot, cannot be done. And particularly, and, and this is, you know, I'll go back to my age. They'll tell you it can't be done after menopause. I went into menopause at age 40. So hell yeah, it can be done. Oh boy. So first off, congratulations. I spent over 10 years in the health and wellness industry. Oh. I struggled with my weight most of my life. So I, quite frankly, am blown away by that. Um, so can we go back to that moment when you realized enough was enough and you were going to start on this journey? Because to your point, that's a big deal. That's, that's a big switch in your mindset. That's a big realization about your abilities or your wants. So can you take us back to when that? Gosh, yes. Um, it was a, so I have been overweight since I was three years old. And um, I want to be really clear about this because I was interviewed on another podcast and somebody came to me and said, oh, how exciting that it was okay for you to be overweight in your family. And I was like, no, 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 no. It was not okay for me to be overweight in my family, but I was, I have been overweight since I was three years old. And um, I'm also, because of my age, uh, in the 1970s, when I was in school, I was one of the only kids that was overweight these days unfortunately, like over half the population in the United, I'm in the United States is overweight and obesity is a, is a problem. But back when I was a child, that was not the case. I was like one of four in a school when I graduated high school, which, you know, I did at age 18. So what that led to was a lot of bullying, a lot of realizing I was othered. I could walk, I can, by age five, I remember this distinctly, I knew, so in kindergarten in the United States at age five, I knew I was not like the rest of the kids. And that was my experience all through high school. And for anybody who's ever, and by the time I graduated high school, I weighed 297 pounds. And that was the first time I ever went to Weight Watchers, uh, which by the way, Weight Watchers should have a plaque on the door with my name on it for all of the money I gave them over the years. So anyway, so fast forward my entire life, has been an exercise and an attempt to get my weight under control. And what would happen was I would get under 200 pounds and I would panic and put it back on. And 
for anybody who's even, I mean, I know that there's not that many people probably listening that have ever weighed 300 pounds, but for anybody whose pants have ever been snug and what is the kind of voices that happen in your head? You need to lose weight. What is wrong with you? Oh my God, you're getting so fat. You don't want to have to buy new clothes. I mean, so all of that verbal kind of bullying that happens internally was happening to me. So we can now like fast forward 30 years and what happened that finally I could not take another moment and is I was um, two things actually. So in November of 2016, I was fat shamed on a plane. This old white guy walks up to me uh, in a plane and then turns to the flight attendant and said, I won't fit next to her. I had to spend three hours on a plane with this guy. And of course the, the flight attendant, she doesn't know what to do either. She's like, she's all apologetic to the guy. I'm so sorry. We're oversold. There's no other seat on the plane. I just want to point out the jerk fit fine, but imagine me sitting there for three hours. Like I am devastated. I am I am doing everything I can not to cry. I have a voice in my head, like again, yelling at me, telling me, look what's wrong with you. This only happens because of, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, so that was the first thing. Um, the second thing was then I have to go to the doctor and I actually broke 300 pounds on the scale at the doctor's office. I was 302. I had never hit that three number before. So those two things, I was miserable. I was, I was also... Um, you know, I'm one of those people that until I hit age 40, my weight did not impact my medical issues. Like I didn't have medical issues until I hit 40. Um, I mean, my cholesterol was fine. My blood pressure was fine. I'm the doctors are always looking at you. You need to lose weight. I tell you to lose weight, but you know, your numbers are fine. Um, but when I hit age 40, I went into early, men I went into menopause at age 40, which is abnormal. Um, and suddenly it felt like everything broke. My blood pressure was suddenly through the roof. My cholesterol was through the roof. I'm now having aches and pains. My thyroid stopped working. And so I had like this medical crisis at age 40 and then the weight just packed on. So, you know, here we are at age 50. I am miserable. I, I am in pain physically and emotionally. I've been fat shamed on a plane. I've like, you know, 302 on a scale of pounds. And I was desperate and devastated and really was concerned that I was just going to die this way. This is just going to be my life and there's nothing I can do about it. So I happened on to an online eating program that um, I, I was so desperate, I was willing to try it. So I threw my money down <laughs> and... Um, I think what changed for me there was they created this amazing community. And for the first time in my life, I did not feel like I was alone. I felt like all of these people were my sisters. They knew me, they understood me. And then the second thing they did that was so critical, which really changed the whole trajectory of my life was they introduced internal family systems, which is a therapy model, but internal family systems they teach people other than therapists how to use the model and they brought that into their system. And what changed for me was this realization that 
so what we say in internal family systems is that we all have parts and it's normal to have parts. Now, if anybody of your listeners is as old as I am, they're probably going to remember the movie Sybil from the 1970s about multiple personality disorder with Sally Field. So the first question I had when I heard this, I was like, wait a minute, are you saying I'm Sybil? Are you calling me Sybil? You're telling me I have parts? And it's like, we actually believe in internal family systems that everybody has parts. It is normal. It is natural. And all of our parts, and this is the thing that people's eyebrows will go up like Mr. Spock, since we are talking about Star Trek, is all of our parts are trying to help us to the best of their ability. Even that mean girl in my head that's yelled at me my entire life about my weight, about my job, about you know my love life, about whatever, uh, they're all trying to help us to the best of their ability. Yeah. Thank you. So first off, thank you for sharing your story to this point. Um, and I definitely understand and agree with you, this idea of we've got different stories that we tell ourselves and different parts of us come up for different reasons. I'm curious though, when you decide, when you started to do this work, what were some of the things that you learned about yourself that really have been, oh my gosh, I wish I'd learned this about myself sooner. Yes. Um, so the day that they that this eating program introduced internal family systems into their model, I flashed back to an event. So I am married to a very Zen guy. He is like super supportive. He loved me no matter what I weighed. Um, and we almost never have any sort of conflict in our marriage. And what I flashed back on was a day that had occurred like six months prior where, and, and it's funny, I don't recall what the triggering event was, but what happened was I ended up yelling at my husband and what I, what happened in real time and what I flashed back to was as I'm yelling at him, I hear a voice in my head saying, what the heck is wrong with you? Are you crazy? You're going to end up divorced. So I am like, actively screaming at my husband, I hear a voice in my head yelling at me. And I had enough access to some other part that was like, oh my God, maybe you are crazy. You're hearing voices in your head at the same time you're yelling at your husband. And so that's what I flash back to. So for me, it made complete sense all of a sudden that, cause that was my lived experience that there are parts and we have, so I have a part that's yelling at my husband who got triggered and is yelling at my husband. I have a part telling me I'm crazy. Well, that's my old friend, the inner critic, because I know this person, this, that part's been there forever. And then somebody that could say, whoa, this is not right. What is going on here? So to me, it, what I immediately like kind of mapped it onto from what I've heard, you know, just in general education, talk, people talk about the angel and the devil on your shoulder right? Like the angel, I don't you know if we'll stay with food for a moment. Uh, you see a beautiful cupcake in the bakery window and you're like, oh, parts like, oh, let me have the cupcake. That looks so fabulous. I must have the cupcake. And another part's like, <clears throat> your pants are already too tight. Do not be wasting money on putting sugar in your body. So that, that kind of angel and devil on your shoulder, this really well known in, in, in the world as, you know, is, is kind of a meme, if you will. And so the idea with parts, so what happened for me was when they explained that we all have parts um, and that they're doing the best that they can to help us, and I was suddenly like relieved. Like to, I am not a religious person per se, but it was like the, 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 the clouds parted and the angels sang because I felt like, oh, I'm not crazy. 
a part of me got triggered and was yelling at my husband. My inner critic got activated and is yelling at me. And so to me, it suddenly made sense. It explained how I could have kind of like two or three contradictory thoughts or emotions happening at the same time. An example that I use to try to explain the idea of parts that a lot of people can understand um, is like, you know, streaming TV these days. I don't care if you're watching Disney Plus, Apple TV, Netflix, Amazon, it doesn't matter. They all at the end of, if you're watching something that's serial, like an, a, like a, you know, a TV series or uh, a season of a TV series, they, you know, at the very end of this, of the um, broadcast. Episode, yeah. The broadcast, the episode, it immediately goes into the next one, right? Up in 20 seconds is, you know, for your viewing pleasure, it comes up the next one. So what happens to me, and so I'll ask if this resonates with you at all, is after a couple of episodes, if I'm watching something on Netflix, I hear a voice in my head that's like, get off this couch. You have been laying here too long. Stop being lazy. You need to go fold the laundry or whatever, right? Like get off the couch. And then I hear another, I have another thought in my head, like, no, 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 no. I have to know what happens next to my favorite character. Like I can't know. And I was always like, again, how can I have these contradictory thoughts at the same time? But those are parts. And both of those parts want what they believe to be the best for me. There's one part that thinks I need to be up and off the couch and be productive. Another part's like, dude, we worked all week. We deserve a couple of hours off. And so this whole idea of parts for me, when I heard about it, it made complete sense because it, it helped me see this is why I have all these conflicting thoughts in my head. This is why I have conflicting emotions in my head um, is that we all have parts. And it, you know, the new thing was that there's nothing wrong with having parts. We all have parts. So let's not pathologize it and make it like, oh, you're calling me Sybil. And then secondarily to recognize that, oh, they're actually trying to help me instead of harm me, which is what it always felt like was happening with my inner critic. So I, I have to ask, and I'm sure people that are listening to this podcast are, are wondering the same thing. It's great that we you realized that this is quite normal. We all have parts. And you're not alone in that. But how do you how do you choose to listen to one over the other? Where does the fortitude come from to recognize that inner critic is just is there to help and you don't need to listen to it? How, so, right, because it's one thing to recognize them all, but then it's another thing to act on one that's going to serve you. So what was, can so, you talk a little yeah, bit about that? I would love to jump into that because here's what I tell people. You're doing it all wrong. Oh. And it's not your fault you're doing it wrong. You've been taught to do it wrong. You can go, go Google, how do I get rid of my inner critic? Millions of responses come up. And so I would just ask you, has that ever worked trying to get rid of it? No, no, it doesn't work. You cannot get rid of it. So the actual, it's the opposite. And it's going to seem, con it's going to seem counterintuitive, but we actually want to listen to the part. And what, here's the other thing I always tell people, okay, I'm also not saying you're just a big bag of parts because you're not just a big bag of parts. You have lots of parts. Almost everybody has lots of parts, but at your core, you have what we call self or self energy. And self-energy is, um, there's like this whole series of eight C's that show up as the traits of self-energy. And I will name off, and I, I tend to get about six of the eight, and I don't have them in front of me, but 
when we have access to some self-energy, we have access to curiosity. We have access to calmness, to feeling connected, to feeling compassionate, to have clarity and creativity. And there's always two I miss. So there's this whole group of traits that we have when we have some access to self-energy. Now, something I want to say really make sure I really get this point across is it's not that parts are bad and self is good. What we want to have happen is we, our parts often came online when we were quite young and they have been moved into roles that was not their natural state, but they think that they're stuck in time and they think they have to keep doing the role. So we'll talk about my friend, the inner critic. That part has been in my head since I was at least five years old. Um, I know that because of all the work I've done with myself and my parts and my IFS therapist. And that part is trying to help me the best way it knows how. And what I've heard in all the conversations I've had with my critics or with other people's critics is what's behind the criticism is actually a lot of fear. So what we're going to do instead is if I can get to a place of some self-energy, if I can get curious and have some compassion towards that inner critic, often our critics just want to be seen and heard. And this is Laura's add to the IFS model. I say that any of your parts want to be acknowledged, accepted, and appreciated. If we can acknowledge, accept, and appreciate our parts, they will relax back. Because let me ask you, Mahara, isn't that what you want? Is it, you know, as a totality of Mahara, you want to be acknowledged, accepted, and appreciated? Absolutely. And I, I resonate with what you're saying so much because it's what through the work that I've done, I believe it. It makes perfect sense to me. And, and how I phrase it, the same thing just said a little bit differently is show some love. Like the, the only way to separate yourself from the the memory and the, the feelings that the memory of, of something invokes is to go to the memory and give that little girl some love, whether you call yes. it yes. or inner critic work or whatever you want to phrase it bottom line is to your point everything everything that we do or say is an effort to protect us in some way yes to be courageous enough to acknowledge that and to go there again most of us spend a lifetime ignoring dampen it down i don't want to go there again that was painful if we even remember it at all in my case there were things that didn't i didn't realize i had held on to and that i'd formed these 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 beliefs about myself limiting beliefs and but now as an adult when I can get triggered with them and that inner critic comes up or that inner, I actually have a swear word for mine so I'm I won't say it but it's much more um it's much more colorful than inner critic however what I'm learning to do is to just stop breathe and thank that part of me for coming up and then show it some love thank yes. you yes Yes, yes, yes. Get that. But you know what? I got this. It's okay. Watch me. I got this. But it's it's taken time and it's taken work. And that's some of the work that both you and I do with our clients is give them permission to get curious. Yes. I find, and I don't know if you'll agree, but many of my clients um, don't actually, they can't articulate what they're feeling because they've ignored it for so long. They just know it's there and it feels kind of heavy. But when, when they are given the tools to either um, actively describe that feeling 
or whether they name that feeling in a certain name, because I've named all of my parts, it feels more comfortable. It's like a family, you're accepting the family. You don't have to do what the family says, but you're accepting that they're there. Yes, 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 so much. Yes, Mahara. We are on the same page, people, just in case you're worried, we're on the same page. Um, so I asked what makes you badass. You shared that you've lost 165 pounds and that you've kept it off for five years. What else makes you badass? You know, the other thing I, I haven't covered off on yet was um, I made the decision to leave corporate, oh, corporate America, since again, I'm in America, the corporate world, I could not, I, I, I hit a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I just cannot. I can't do the political machinations. I cannot do the crap. And so I left, um, I left the job and said, I've got to find something that allows me to work from home. I have got to find something. I just can't do this anymore. And that was a huge step away. I grew up in a middle-class, lower middle-class family in the United States and was preached from my family all of the time around security, security, security. You have to have a job. You stay there till you die, you know, and so for me to be able to and I'm grateful to that part of me that finally had the courage to say, this is ruining my mental health. And so I walked away from that and I became um, in the United States, I call it a contractor. So basically that means I have no insurance. I have to pay for my own insurance. And I, so I'm a contractor for um, the nonprofit you mentioned. I am so much happier. Yes. Am I paying a ridiculous amount of money because here the way we do things in the United States? Yes. But walking away from, you know, what felt like eons of being told you have to have a job, you have to have insurance, you have, I mean, which I do have insurance, but like, in, you know, all of these things about that was a hard, that was hard to break free from that. But I, I finally realized like, this is killing me. And, um, and then to start a business at age 50 something, though, what I'm finding, I thought that was scary and frightening um, at the time I did it. Like, who am I to start a business? I mean, Lord have mercy. When I was in college, that was my, um, you know, that was my degree was in business administration, but it was never for me. It was for me to be a manager in a corporate setting. It was not for me to start my own business. And what I've found, well, so I'd say this to all of your listeners is there's many of us that like get to around age 50 and we're like, we're done. I can't do this anymore. And then you're, then you start figuring out what lights you up and what makes you happy. And and then, yes, you can start your own business. And so I think that's another thing that like I was willing to take that, even though it went completely against the grain of everything I was brought up to believe about work and corporate America and, you know, you need to have security. So I think that's the other thing was like, I took that plunge, but I think I had to, I had to, or I, I don't think I would have made it. So that's, I think, another thing that makes me badass. And that's, I agree with you hundred percent. What I, what I wish for in the world is that women don't wait until they're at the breaking point to ask questions, right? Because like you, I was in my fifties when I went on this journey, I was also in the corporate world. And so many of us allow ourselves to hit rock bottom to the breaking point for all lots of different reasons. And our goal as coaches is to help you before you get there. So give yourself permission to be amazing and to be you before you feel that that's your only choice, right? So um, very, very nice. So what exactly is your business? This particular one that you're talking about that you started? 
So I became an LLC so that I could become an internal family system. I got trained to be an internal family systems practitioner. I see clients one-on-one. -on -one. And then in the last year, I have started putting together, um, I've been started putting together coursework to help people because what I saw that was happening um, for anybody who happens to be internal family systems uh, aware is all of the books that are written um, around it are written towards practitioners or therapists. And so they're kind of dry and they'll tell you what to do. And, and, and this is what I saw in my own work. Like I would, I could have breakthroughs in session with my, with my therapist, my clients can have breakthroughs in session, but there's really nobody teaching you how to stay connected with your parts in between session. And so when, before I take on any new client, I'll say, Hey, we can do amazing work in session, but candidly, it's what you do between sessions. That's really going to like, you know, change your trajectory because like anything, learning to recognize you have parts. And I, you know, that's the other, that's my fourth A really is awareness. You have to be aware that that critic, for example, since that's who we're talking about, that that critic is active. Once I have that awareness, can I get curious about why is that critic? What's going on? What prompted the critic to get active? Why is it suddenly showing up? If I can get to that place of curiosity, then I can start like kind of turn towards the part and be more like, all right, tell me what's happening. Tell me why you're criticizing me right now. And so one of the first things I did the very first year I started this business was I created this list of things and I'll share this with your, um, with your listeners. If you have an inner critic and most people do, you know, one of the ways that you can acknowledge it and accept it is by just responding in a neutral manner. And so this was like kind of my first foray into creating content to help people who are doing IFS parts work to be able to talk to their parts in between sessions with their therapist or their practitioner. And so for anybody that has an inner critic and the critic's like, what the heck were you thinking? How could you have been so stupid? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, I'll say things like neutral things like, thank you for sharing, or you might be right, or yep, I'm sorry it happened that way too. And what that does is because remember I mentioned all those self qualities, the curiosity, the compassion, calmness. If a part, if my critic is saying you're an idiot, what the heck is wrong with you? And the, the very snapback comment in my head is shut up. Why don't you go away? Does that sound calm, curious, open? No, that's another part, right? That's another part that's trying to defend me, which is lovely to my inner critic. So now I've got two parts active. I've got the critic who's yelling at me and now I've got a part yelling at the critic. So what I learned to do to kind of cut off that kind of cat fight in my head was to just come up with some neutral responses to the critic, because now the critic is going to now fight with the part that doesn't like the critic. And so I would be like, okay, thank you for sharing. I appreciate what you're trying to tell me. Yep. I'm sorry that happened too. I wish it had gone another way. And by me being able to engage with it from a more neutral response, instead of like, get out of here, I hate you, go away, um, the critic felt seen and heard. And that that then once the part feels, any part feels seen and heard, they're more likely to relax back. And the more they relax back, the more access I have to self-energy. And so that's kind of like, that becomes a spiraling up instead of spiraling down into a cat fight in my head between the critic and the part that hates the critic. What a great visual. What I heard, and thank you for sharing that story. What I heard was um, when we can learn to be, to step into non-judgment, non-judgment, then everybody's happier because, and we, being in judgment hurts, right? It hurts us 
often more than it hurts the other person if we're if we're having an interchange with somebody or someone or something it often hurts us more but that ability to go okay i accept that you're here but how come how can i help you what do you need why did you show up really you know what good point oh good point that person is belittling me good point you're right however i don't have to react this way or that way so being in judgment being in a non-judgmental state is not always easy but it is definitely something that i work with my clients as well and i remember when i first began to understand this idea of living in judgment i had no idea i was so judgmental i really didn't and i thought you know this module because it was within my with within my certification as a mastery method coach i'm like well this is interesting but it doesn't really apply to me so naive. And then I jumped into the pro into the module and I was like, oh my God, how do I get through the day? I have judgments about everyone starting with me. Because at first I was thinking, oh, I'm just very judgmental about others. But really what I learned was it all starts with me. I'm so, I've been so judgmental of myself over the years for things that happened as a child and, and beliefs that I, that I took on and so it it definitely takes work, but I really love this idea of, you know what, one step at a time, let's just come at it with some neutral language. Very powerful work. It's so important, the work that you're doing, Laura. Um, there's one other thing that you mentioned to me before we started recording, and I think it's pretty powerful. And what I think is really interesting is that you weren't actually going to talk about it, but I'm going to invite you to talk about it, which was, again, the question is what makes you badass? And can you tell me what your answer was? Well, is this about the food? Yeah, this is about what you, what. Yeah, that food. was my original. So yeah, so when I was prepping for this, um, you know, this podcast, I, you know, you sent the question, if I ask you what you're badass, why is that? I had three answers. And so, yeah, the first one was, you know, the weight loss and more importantly, keeping it off. And the second one was leaving my job at age 50 and like leaving a secure corporate position at age 50. And then the third one is I don't eat sugar and flour. And that's how I lost the weight. And um, it's the reason I, that can be off-putting to people. And I'll tell you something that happened just this weekend. Um, we live in a lake community. And so our neighbors across the street don't actually live here. They come up on the weekends. And so she was she was up and out and walking. And she, um, she came over and she's like, have you lost any more weight? And the truth is, I don't think so. But um, I was like, oh you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, I just kind of, and then she said, oh, I need to lose some weight. And she's not, she's not morbidly obese. I was morbidly obese. I know what that looks like. And she's like, I need to lose weight. How did you do that? And I said, I don't eat sugar and flour. And she looked at me dead in the eye and said, I would rather be dead. And I was like, that's a choice. <laughs> and yeah, then she started, then she went into a whole series of excuses and I call them excuses because I've used them all right about like oh I come from big bone stock and all you have to do is look at my you know my parents and you can tell and this is I wanted I think I thanked my parts for this because right then as she's going into this you know you know litany of conversation I said to my parts because my parts immediately wanted to you know defend me and I was, it's not that bad. It's not that hard. Hey, I know it sounds terrible. You know, I had parts wanted to defend me. And I said to them in my head, I was like, guys, this has nothing to do with you. And it has to do with her. Let's just stand here and, and, and listen. 
let's just listen quietly. And then, you know, a few minutes later, she takes off and I got in the car to leave because that's what I was trying to do when she came over. And I was, I said to my system, thank you guys so much for letting me manage us through that situation. You know, I, 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 us arguing with her or trying to explain ourselves would have helped nobody. So that was why, like, I had just come off an experience of somebody saying, I would rather be dead. And I thought, I don't want Mahara's people to like turn off as soon as I say that. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad you said it. Cause what I heard was, it doesn't matter whether you're not eating sugar, you're not eating salt, or you're not eating bananas, or you're eating this. It's not about that. What I heard was you chose to listen to what your body needs. And that is something that we can all, I think, hang our hat on. And we all need different things. And the other thing that I heard in the, in the story that you just shared was very powerful, which is not about you. <laughs> right. About you. This is about her. And so often our immediate, our default is, this is all about me. And I'm going to get defensive. Ah, and I'm going to, like you said, I have to prove myself and I have to, and actually, guess what? You don't, it's not about you. This isn't a, it's beautiful and it's totally badass that you can own your truth. And your truth is that your body doesn't need sugar or wheat flour. Excuse me. Your body. No, doesn't... it's, it's funny. You say that. So in two, I'll tell you a little, a little more about that. In 2009, I had a like health. Um, I don't know what you call it. Just like I suddenly could not eat processed. It could not eat food that had wheat in it in the United States. I found out years later, I could go to Europe and eat wheat. And I know there's like all sorts of debates about why is that? And I think the most common, most recent research is, is that in the United States, we grow a very, we don't grow like you think amber waves of grain. No, we grow a very compact form of wheat. It's got way more protein in it. And it's, it's just harder to digest. Um, in Europe, I can eat wheat all day long. But so, and, and I remember in 2009, I got so sick and I, I stopped eating it. And then I found out later if I wanted, if I had wanted to be checked for celiac disease, you have to actually be eating it. But I can tell you the withdrawal coming off of that was so bad that I was like, I don't need a diagnosis. I'm never touching it again. Um, and, and, and I remember that I said this literally at the time I said, Whoa, if only I was allergic to sugar, I'd be skinny as a rail. And I remember saying that I remember distinctly saying that. So then fast forward, you know, another 10 years or more, I guess it was, no, another nine years, something like that. Um, and this, the food program um, is no sugar, no flour of any sort. And here's what I found for me about sugar is that sugar, uh, you know, cause I'm not going to lie. It, it, it was a big order uh, at first and it probably took two solid years before I could get completely on board. Um, I lost a ton of weight really fast. And then of course, then I've got parts in my head that want to say, oh, it's okay. We can have a little bit, right? Like, cause that's typical. Um, and what I found was, is that if I eat sugar, I don't have a physical reaction per se, but I have an emotional reaction. I am, well, I guess there isn't a physical reaction because I'll tell you what happens afterwards. So if I eat sugar, I am emotionally reactive. I want to kill people. I am wanting to scream at people. Um, it turns me into an emotional wreck. And you know what? I love the peace I live in. I have peace, internal peace. And then it'll take me three days to stop craving the sugar after I eat it. So after about two years of experimenting and trying to see, I, I, I quit. 
I, I will never eat sugar again. Um, I do have a part of me that says I go to Europe like once every two or three years, I may still have a baguette, right? When I'm over there. Um, but the sugar, it makes me emotionally reactive. It makes all this chatter in my head and it takes three days to detox off of the sugar. And I feel like I physically feel like crap once I stop eating it. So for me, my body does not do well in sugar. And I, I you know, I love the fact that shame. I, I do have a part that says shame. You didn't actually take yourself seriously when you said that in 2009, <laughs> but I didn't. Excuse me. I've got a tickle in my throat. What courage to say no to sugar. In a world where, and you know what's been hard? I'll tell you the thing that's the hardest, was hardest for me in my journey is we use food as love. And in my family, my that has been really difficult for my father. I mean, I was an emotional eater from the time I was four years old, three years old. Um, and it is hard to feel like you're, again, feeling othered. Like there's something wrong with you. I can't eat what they eat. I feel I've got FOMO. You know, people show love. Oh, grandma made this, whatchamacallit, just for you, right? Like that is really hard to break that. And sugar isn't everything. Actually, wheat isn't everything as well. Like going gluten, I was gluten-free before it was cool, right? Like before there were products for that. And um, it's amazing how much sugar and flour, particularly wheat flour, is in everything. It's in things you wouldn't expect it to be in. And and yes, I, it's, it's the norm. I've even, yes, uh, I can, we could go on about this for about an hour. Well, it's interesting because um, my husband is gluten intolerant and actually started that. Um, and yeah, it's made a world of difference. It's made a huge world of difference. So amazing. So one other question, I'm curious, I mean, you've, you've hinted to this, but if you were to choose one word to describe you before you wore the badass mantle, what would that one word be to describe the Laura of most of your life, I would guess? Miserable. That's a powerful word. It is a powerful world word. I had um I had been at age 30, I was diagnosed with cancer and uh, stage four, pretty bad. I'm still here. So yay, we survived. But um, I was never happy after that. I was never ha happy after age 30. So yes, miserable would be the one word I would describe myself as sad. I'm sad to say. And it's so interesting because I've known you a few, I've known you a few months and oh my gosh, I would never have known that that word is even in your vocabulary. You're so vibrant and you're happy and you're living your truth. Um, you are a true, true badass. Um, I love Star Trek. I just want to go back to that because for a little bit of levity, what's, what's your favorite Star Trek series? Oh, Lord. So I was born in 1966, which for any Star Trek fans out there know, that is actually when the original Star Trek hit the airwaves. Um, so I grew up watching reruns on, uh, you know, TV daily. I would sit and watch the original series. I have had... I loved, so the, the original series was my first love. Captain Kirk was my, I can now, funny, I could look at him now and be like, oh my God, toxic masculinity all over the place, right? Um, probably, so like, again, back to the streaming TV, Paramount has uh, rebooted and created a bunch of new um, Star Trek series recently. And so 
take my money, take my money. Um, I love discovery. They, they have, they put a black female as a captain and she is a bad, you want a badass? That girl is a badass. I love her. I love that whole wild story. Um, the most recent one they put out, uh, Strange New Worlds, I love the first season. The second season has just kicked off and I'm not as impressed, but I loved the first season of Strange New Worlds. I always had a special place in my heart for Deep Space Nine. It was more cerebral and they did much more character development. And I'm always going to love Jean-Luc Picard. So girl, I just love them all. Yeah. You know what? I think hats off to to Star Trek, the franchise, because they've done, really they've done due diligence in exploring brave new frontiers, even before we knew it was, we, I mean, in the seventies, it was just for fun. It was like entertainment and it was very entertaining, but as they grew, because I'm a huge Trekkie too, I really think that they tackled things that we care to tackle in society, but they, they, they got away with it because it was on television. It was on the big screen. So I'm a huge Trekkie as well. And, you know, May the force be. Uh, did you hear? I was just supposed to say the the. You're dead. You about said the other one, didn't you? Live long and prosper. Long and prosper. Um, Laura, I can't. I, I just want to thank you. I really enjoyed chatting with you today, and I I really honor the journey that you've been on. As I mentioned earlier, I've struggled with my weight, and I know that it's it takes a lot of fortitude and a lot of courage to say, "Wow, enough! I'm not that person." I believed the stories for so many years, but I'm not that person. And there's uh, there's more for me in this lifetime. So I really honor that you've done that for yourself. Uh, those of you that are listening, I will drop in the show notes how to connect with Laura. She's amazing. She is just a, a fountain of, of motivation and support, especially around um, the inner critic. And yes, we all have them. Sometimes they speak louder than others. But uh, you will be able to connect with her through the show notes. Laura, I want to thank you again for joining me today. Great conversation. And I look forward to doing this again. Thank you all for joining us today on The Art of Badassery. My guest has been Laura Lively. And I think you will agree she epitomizes badass. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to The Art of Badassery. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and gained valuable insights to help unleash your inner badass. If you found this podcast helpful, please leave a rating or review on your favorite platform. Your feedback not only helps me improve the show, but it also helps others like yourself discover the podcast. Until next time, keep embracing your authenticity and living life on your terms. Here's to you.